If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to 2 John. 2 John, we're looking at verses, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6. And we're talking about truth matters in a world of lies and liars. I was reminded of this again uh, just today. A friend of mine went yesterday to a local college, see his son graduate, heard the president of the college give the, the, the speech, and he got up there and actually bragged about the fact that some of you students have come here believing in absolute truth, and we have helped you to rid yourself of that that thinking. You now see things as relative. Now, you know, that's just mind-blowing, mind-blowing. But that's exactly where we're at. Truth matters. Who's genuine and who is phony? Let me tell you this story. So, several years ago, in Long Beach, California, a man went into a fried chicken place and bought a couple of chicken dinners for himself and his date late one afternoon. The young woman at the counter mistakenly gave him the proceeds of the day, uh, which was a whole bag of money, much of it cash, instead of fried chicken. Now, how you do that, I don't know, but this actually happened. After driving to their picnic site, the two of them sat down to open the meal and enjoy some chicken together, and they discovered a whole lot more than chicken, over $800 in cash. But this was not your average guy. He quickly put the money back in the bag, got back in the car, and drove all the way back. Mr. Honesty got out, walked in, and, and encountered the manager, who by then was frantic, wondering how he's going to get this money back, how he was going to explain this. The guy with the bag of money looked at the manager in the eye and said, I want you to know, I came by to get a couple of chicken dinners and wound up with all this money here. And he handed it over. Well, the manager was thrilled to death, and the honest man became an instant hero. So the manager said to him, this is great. Let me call the newspaper. I'm going to give you a picture, put your picture in the newspaper. You're the most honest man I've ever heard of. To which the guy quickly responded, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Then he leaned closer and whispered, you see, the woman I'm with is not my wife. She's uh, somebody else's wife. All right. So uh, truth, genuine, counterfeit, truth matters in a world of lies and liars. Not everyone who appears to be true is the real deal. And so if you look on your chart, the big idea of Second John is we're moving through this short letter. The big idea is this. Truth matters in a world of lies. Long for the truth and make it a priority in all of your life. We should be longing for God's truth to make an impact in all areas. And the second, the second shortest book in the Bible is divided into two main sections, and you can see these sections there in your chart. These two main sections give a lot of balance in our lives, balance that's not seen in our culture, balance that's often not promoted in Christianity. So look at the section. The first section is verses 1 through 6. We're going to wrap up today. Truth matters to God's elect leaders and churches. The focus is on true believers within the church. That's the first half. The second half is truth matters in a world of lies and liars. And the focus there is on false teachers that have gone out into the world. The problem is they don't stay out in the world. They try to come into the church and they try to deceive the church. Another way that these two uh, sections bring balance is, look at that next section, truth and abiding. In verses 1 through 6, we're told to walk in the commandments. And we prove that truth abides in us by loving and obeying. 
But in the second half, verses 7 through 13, we're to watch for counterfeits. And we'll look at that in the weeks to come. Prove you abide in the truth by being inhospitable to error. People who know that truth matters don't welcome error into their lives, into their church, into their homes. There's a third way, truth and loving, and that's big. We've talked a lot about that in this series. The third way, these two main sections bring balance, is by in verses 1 through 6, we see truth promotes love for one another. We're really going to see that this morning. But the second part of the letter, 7 through 13, reminds us it not only promotes loving one another, but love protects truth with one another. Love True love, gospel love, is willing to do the hard things, say the difficult things, in order to protect the truth of the community. And so, as you look down there at the end of that chart, we're going to focus on verses 4 through 6. We've seen already that we are to love by the truth. Now we're going to see that we're to live in the truth, and this is, God, this is the purpose of truth. So we're looking at the purpose of truth this morning. Now, here's what I want you to understand about verses. Well, let's read them. Let's read verses 1 through 6. So this is the first half of the book, or the letter, and let's read those. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, a local church and its members, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. That's a whole lot of truth. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And then here he comes. He opens up the letter by saying, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, I ask you as an entire local church, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should keep on walking in it. Now, there's two focuses in this passage. And the first focus you have there in your notes, focus number one is this. True Christian leaders pursue the purpose of truth with a passion. True Christian leaders. This first half, these three verses tell you what true Christian leaders think about truth. And they pursue it with a passion. They pursue the purpose of truth. So the question, that begs the question, what's the purpose of truth? And here's what you want to see. The purpose of truth is to live in truth on a daily basis. The purpose of hearing the truth this morning is so that you will live it. The purpose of owning a Bible is so that you will live in truth on a daily basis. True Christian leaders pursue the purpose of truth with a passion. And as God's elect people, we ought to put truth into into practice. So that's the first thing we see in these verses. John has a passion. It's his joy, he says in verse 4. It's it's what he wants the church to do in verse 5. It's what God has commanded, and John's passionate about it. The second focus in these three verses is this. True Christian leaders equip, they equip God's elect people to live in truth on a daily basis. See, if you're passionate about it 
in your own life, you're going to want to equip God's church. As I looked at these three verses and asked myself, what's the big idea? What's the main thing that we ought to take away from this? We see the example of what true Christian leaders do. They equip God's elect church to put truth into practice. And the reason I say that is because these three verses are contrasted coming up with verses 7 through 11. In 7 through 11, we're we're learning about false teachers. But before he jumps into the false teaching, he wants us to know this is what true, true leaders do. True leaders, true pastors, true teachers, true ministry leaders over children in our nursery. Over our adults, our seniors, it doesn't matter. We should be passionate about seeing truth put into practice and equipping God's elect people. And so what is what are we to be equipped to do? Well, become authentic Christians who walk in the truth, love one another in the truth, obey the truth, and abide in truth. It's all about the truth. It's all about the truth. Love is in there. But it's about truth. It's about truth. Truth's purpose is very simple. Live in it. Don't just long for it. Live it. Don't just possess it. Don't just carry your Bible to church one Sunday a week, you know, one day a week. But live it. Live it in every area of our lives. So here's what I want you to do. Each point is is one of these verses. We've got three verses. We've got three points. And we're going to learn... How to equip, how true Christian leaders equip God's elect people to live in truth. And let me just say to you, one, use this as an evaluation of your leaders here at our church. You can evaluate me by this standard. I see some areas, as as I'm going to teach through this, where I need to grow. This is what we should be doing as your leaders. But also look at it as parents. Parents, your job is to equip children Raise children who put truth into practice. Evaluate yourself by the... This is great parenting training this morning. Ministry leaders, Awana, Discovery Hour. Uh, obviously, if it's Discovery Hour, you wouldn't be here. But, uh, you know, whatever your ministry is, hey, this is what you should be doing if you're passionate about putting truth into practice. That's truth's purpose. Live it out. So let's look at it. First thing. The first thing true Christian leaders do to equip God's elect people, is number one, they express. They express their great joy when God's elect people walk in truth. Okay, again, we kind of see truth as impersonal and rigid and boring. No, it's joyous. The first thing he does is express his great joy when God's elect people walk in truth. Uh, So here's what he says. Look at verse 4. I was very glad. I mean, I was super excited. I was thrilled. I was overjoyed to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. So let me make three observations about this one verse. The first observation is this. Truth's purpose is clear in this verse. Walk in it. Walk in it. Or you could put live in it, because that's what walk means. Live it out. Truth's purpose is clear. We possess it to put it into practice. Walking means living on a daily basis in everyday decisions and temptation. So as you, you know, the illustration I like using is, you know, as, as a husband, when you come home from, uh, from home and your wife says, how was your day? 
What she's really saying, men, is walk me through your day. You know, if I, what I say is, it was fine. It was bad. Leave me alone. Okay? What, what the question was asked, that what, was, what, what your wife meant was, walk me through your day. And what's that mean? Because if you ask your wife, how was your day? She doesn't grunt at you. What does she tell you? Everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. And a woman said, I'm glad. Thank you, Carmen. Get me off the hook on this because I was wondering, how can I express this without looking bad? But yeah, they tell you everything. Well, I got up and the curling iron just didn't work and that just exasperated me. And then I was trying to get the kids out the door and they forgot their lunch and the dog ate the homework. And then I went this. Now, if you're, if you're married to my wife, you get to hear about Sons, uh, certain flowers she saw. I get pictures of geese laying eggs in, in parking lots of stores, you know. And as a good husband, I learned to be excited about such things, thrilled about such things. What is she doing? She's walking me through her day. Well, listen, we're to walk through our day with truth, right? So, you know, so as I am frustrated over the curling iron, how do I bring truth to bear on that? As the kids do frustrate me, how do I bring truth to bear on that? When the boss is, you know, I, I meet with you guys for lunch and some of you tell me stories of, of Christian, professing Christians who do not practice ethical business. And it breaks my heart. That breaks my heart as a pastor. It breaks my heart because of the inconsistent witness of a Christian. It breaks my heart that, that you as God's people have to interact with other God's people who aren't doing the ethical thing. You've got to bring truth to bear in every area of our lives. Amen? So when we're tempted, when, when every, just walk through that. And hey, I'm as guilty as you. I can read my Bible in the morning, shut that thing, come to work and even work in a Christian environment and, and not bring truth to bear during my day. Right? It's just easy to do. And sometimes it's easy to do the whole week until Sunday and you're like, oh, now I feel guilty. Right? Now I feel guilty. Why? Because we didn't walk through the day with the truth. This is God's purpose for possessing truth. Live it out. Put it into practice. John means trust the truth, live the truth, abide in the truth. It in, listen, when you walk in truth, when you walk in truth, it includes both believing certain doctrines and living out the implications. It's your head, it's your heart, and it's your hands. And it means walking in relationship with Jesus. Let me just see, uh, let me show you this from 1 John. You know what's amazing about these short letters? You said these short letters. How do you get so much out of these short letters? Well, God's given us a divine commentary on first, uh, on 2 John and 3 John, and it's 1 John. So let's go to 1 John 1.6. Look at 1 John. We're just going to leaf through some verses in 1 John that show how important it is that truth's purpose is to walk it out, walk it out into life. So let's look at 1 John 1, 6. Notice what it says. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There's the divine commentary. What's it mean to walk? It means to put something in practice. And when you don't walk, you're not putting it into practice. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. See, this isn't sinlessness. This is being as obedient as we can possibly be in the power of the spirit. And when we mess up, 
we bring truth to bear on it. And we confess it, we, we keep short accounts with God, and we move on. We don't keep sinning. And we don't just ignore. We learn that we, we're supposed to be mourning over sin. You'll never mourn over your daily sin until you bring truth to bear to your daily life. Look at 1 John 2. Turn over to 1 John 2.29. 1 John 2.29. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone, that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. Hey, this is what true believers do. They put truth into practice. Look at 1 John, uh, I skipped over this one, 1 John 2.17. 2.17, the world is passing away, also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Not the one who owns the Bible, one who does the will of God. Look at 1 John 3. Man, 1 John 3.7. Is it 3.7? Yes, 1 John 3.7. Man, look here. Look at 1 John 3.7. He really goes after it. Little children. Remember, children, members, disciples, followers of Christ. Make sure no one deceives you. Don't be deceived. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as God is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Those aren't true believers. Don't get fooled in this idea that you can have a lifestyle of sin, a lifestyle of believing bad doctrine, and profess that you're still a believer. Listen, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And that means destroy those works in us, in my life, in your life. No one who is born of God practices sin as a lifestyle, as a habitual problem. Because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Listen, the reason we quit sinning as believers is not because we do it in our own flesh. It's because God has planted the seed and the power of the spirit and we are able to no longer sin. By this, the children of God and the children of devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Wow! I think truth's purpose is very clear in that passage. Let me give you a second observation. It's this. True leaders have no greater joy. There is no greater joy for true gospel leaders than seeing and hearing how their children are walking in truth. Oh, man, this is huge. This is huge. Children is a metaphor for disciples, for members of a local church. And here's what the aging apostle says. He says, look, I love to express my joy over my disciples walking in the truth of the gospel on a daily basis. And, and, and John loved doing this. Uh, this is the first thing he does. So look at verse 4. First thing he does for this church before he addresses any of the negativity any of the, the problems, and let me tell you, there were problems. The first thing he does is say, man, I have joy in some. Now, listen, we're in a culture right now that's under a, a, a culture that's, that's rampaging over the cliff of destruction. And we as believers are tempted to be swept along with it. We're, we're swimming upstream against it, and you get tired. And when you get tired, you get irritated. Can I hear an amen? And when you get irritated, you get angry, and you get frustrated, and pretty soon we just have a low level of anger 
about what's going on in our country. And guess what? If you're not careful, it'll rob your joy. Are you with me? So we need to be doing more than guarding truth. We need to do more than just looking at all the error. We need to find the sum. He says, I found some of you. We need to find the some that are living for the gospel and rejoice in them. Amen. So sometimes you got to get your eyes off the negativity and onto the positivity of people really living for the gospel. And they're out there. In fact, you ought to be one of them. There ought to be many of them right here in this room. And we got to get our eyes on that and rejoice about and just express our joy. Amen. You know, let me ask you. I, you know, I, if you're like me, it's just real easy to express all the negativity about our culture. But when's the last time you expressed joy about someone living for the Lord? Okay, this is what he did. Uh, I, I, uh, look at Third uh, John. This is this is what he always he does it for churches and he does it for individuals. Look at Third John. Third John's not written to a church; it's written to a true gospel leader. But the first thing John does in addressing him in Third John, look at verse two through four. Beloved, there's that idea of loving. I pray that all in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. How would you like uh, our, your pastors here to pray for you to prosper materially as much as you are spiritually? Would you be rich tomorrow or would you be poor? Okay, good, good, good prayer there. Number three, look at verse three. For I was very glad, there's the same phrase, I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. Not what you're saying, what you're doing. Not just what you have in a Bible. Of course, they didn't have a Bible, but we do. Not just the fact that you are, you possess truth or no truth, but you're walking in truth. And then look at verse 4. I have no greater joy, no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in truth. Man, I'm telling you, I have no greater joy here at this church over 26 years. I'll tell you, that I, I, I would take the reward, I would take the gift of every one of you walking in truth. There is no greater joy. That's why when I send out cards, almost 90% of the time, I end them with, way to go and grow. Because that's what we're to be doing. That's what brings a true leader's joy in his life, is seeing God's people walking, walking in truth. Now, let me say this. Don't be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand over the current problems in our country. Don't wear rose-colored glasses and say, well, I just rejoice in the Lord. Everything's okay. It'll all be fine. But don't get an Elijah complex either. Don't get the idea, I'm the only one serving the Lord. It's so desperate. If you would just, oh, Lord, I just want to die. It's horrible. No. Find the some, the some that are walking in truth. And then when you find them, express your joy to them. Express your joy over them. And that's what happened here. So just like with your kids. True leaders catch God's people doing the right thing, and then they praise them for it before they address the negative side of things. Are you with me? That's just good parenting. That's good leadership. That's what John's talking about. Here's the third observation. Third observation is this. Walking in the truth is not an option for God's children. It is a commandment. It's not an option. It's a commandment, and it comes straight from the Father, through His incarnate Son, 
and his indwelling spirit as revealed in his inerrant scriptures. Look at what he says again in verse 4. He says, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now we know from verse three, from verse 2, look up at verse 2. <coughs> we know from verse 2 that when he says from the Father, our instructions come from the Father through the Son and by the indwelling Spirit who inspired this book. So it's from the Father, but it's also through these means. But here's what I want you to see. Walking in truth is not an option. It's not just for some. It's not just for the super dedicated. It's not just for the fully devoted. It's not for just for the very committee. He said, yeah, I found some of you, some of your members doing this. But let me tell you, all of you, all of you as a church need to do that. Now, notice what it says in your notes. It says, because putting truth into practice is a commandment from God. At least three things are true about this, about this command to walk in truth. The first thing I want you to see is it can't be overlooked or ignored or set aside for the purpose of loving others. It's a commandment from God. Bottom line, love never trumps putting truth into practice. This is a commandment. And therefore, if we think, well, the loving thing to do here is to set aside this commandment. No, you can't do that. It's a commandment from the Father. All right. John says that we receive this commandment, and it's singular, from the Father. The Father's all-encompassing command to His children is clear. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, here it is. You know, graduates are graduating. You know, put this verse in their, in their Bible. Put it in your card. Walk in truth. That's it. That's that. There it is. This is God's command. And nothing, nothing can set it aside. Um, and the fact that it's from the Father. So let's think about that. Paul's very, uh, or Paul, John is very adamant. This is from the pa- Father. Now, I think he's telling us two things. He's telling this church two things. He's telling us two things. The point is, there's no higher authority to which we can appeal in order to avoid obeying this command. If anybody enters your life and says, you know what, you don't have to walk in truth. You can be a believer and not walk in truth. It's okay if you don't obey God's commands. If anybody enters your life, you've got to understand, there's no higher authority. No, one can, no authority can tell you you can avoid this. But listen to this. No one else has the authority to void this. Okay? It's from the Father, the highest authority. So you can be the best of teachers. Here's what's happening in America. The bigger your church, the greater it's assumed, the greater, you know, the more you know and the more authority you have. I don't care how big your church is. If what you're saying goes against Scripture, it's from the Father. And you're not the Father. Okay? No matter how successful, how many books, doesn't matter. It can't be voided. It can't be avoided. Here's the second thing. Because putting truth into practice is a command from God, it can't be set aside because the gospel is supposedly about grace and mercy versus truth and obedience. This is another problem today. You start talking about commands and immediately people label you a what? What? 
A legalist. A legalist. Hey, you're talking about commands. You're telling us we have to do something. You should. Gospel's all about mercy. Gospel's all about grace. Well, here's what's interesting in this verse. No, look at verse 4. He says, from the Father. And the Greek phrase behind that is the exact same phrase in verse 3 that says, grace, mercy, and peace are from the Father. The same God that provided us with grace, mercy, and peace, provided us with these commands. They're not in conflict. And we have this idea that grace means I sin without consequences. Grace means the power to stop sinning. Can I hear an amen on that? Do you understand the difference? Grace is not, oh, it's okay, keep keep uh, mired in the mud. Grace is, you've got the ability to get out of that mud and to quit getting back into that mud. Ask me for cleansing, I've already given you power. So grace and mercy and peace are not excuses for not practicing the truth. But many today would teach that same thing. In fact, mercy, grace, and peace enable us to put truth into practice. Not excuse to not do it. Here's the third thing. Because putting truth into practice is a commandment that comes straight from the Father, through the Son, by His indwelling Spirit, as revealed in the Scriptures, it can't be set aside because of cultural changes, personal circumstances, or new concepts. Look at verse uh, 9. In the weeks to come, we're going to look at verse 9. It says, anyone who goes too far and doesn't abide in the teaching. The point is, false teachers are always innovators. They want to tell you something new. This is what your teachers, your pastors, your training never taught you this. But I've discovered it, and for $9.99, I'll help you find new innovative truth. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, this is a commandment from the Father. There's not, Listen, if it doesn't agree with what the Father has revealed, then I don't care how new it is. I don't care how radical it is. I don't care how many people are flocking to that. The facts are it's a commandment. Put truth into practice. Or as James would say, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Or as James would say, faith without works is what? It's dead. All right, so the first way true teachers equip is that they express joy when they catch God's people living, walking in truth. Here's the second thing they do. Verse 5 is the second point. They encourage God's elect people. They encourage God's elect church to love one another in truth. So look at verse 5. He says, Now I ask you, lady, lady, which means the whole church, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one which we've had from the beginning, that we do what? Read it with me. Love one another. Okay, so again, three observations. First one is this. Truth's purpose is clear in this verse. What is it? Love one another on a daily basis. So, so truth's purpose is not just walk in truth, but love one another in the truth. But he says... So now, but now, and now, different uh, uh, translations. He's making a shift from verse 4, what he found about the sum, and now he's addressing the whole. So I want you to look at verse 5 in your Bibles. I want you to see this. He shifts from the sum, who he had met, to the whole church that he's writing to you. 
I ask you, and he's very emphatic, you, lady, entire church. There's, secondly, there's a shift from the commandment to walking in truth to now the commandment is love one another. So there's a shift in what the commandment is. Thirdly, he shifts from talking about others to talking about how both he and the church ought to love one another. Don't miss this. He's not telling them as a church to just love one another in the church. He's saying, look, we, me, the the leader, you, the church, we ought to love one another. So why why, why is he making these shifts? Well, let me give you a couple, uh, three reasons for each one, or one reason for each one. The first reason he shifts from the sum to the church as a whole is because living in truth and loving one another is not just, again, for the super dedicated. It's for the whole church. It's for the whole church. So he says, hey, I found these some doing it, and that's wonderful, but guess what? We all, including myself, should be doing this. Secondly, the shift from walking in truth to loving one another is because this too is the purpose of truth. Listen, walking in truth has relational implications. Our vertical relationship with God should impact our horizontal relationships with one another. Truth includes love. Third, the shift from talking about others to focusing John's relationship with the church as a whole is critical because, listen, loving one another... Listen, a love between God's people and God's leaders... Listen to me. A love, a mutual, reciprocal love between God's leaders and God's people is a safeguard against false teaching. Why do I say that? Because false teachers use their their influence and their false doctrine to divide God's people. And they will make no headway in a church until they can put a wedge between God's people and true leaders. Now, that's what's going on here. He's about to talk to them in verses 7 and 11 about false teachers and not letting them come in. Well, guess what? If they don't love John, they're not going to listen to him. And what are they going to do? They're going to let false teachers come in. And what's the first thing the false teacher is going to do? John, who's he? Let me tell you what John's problem is. He's a legalist. He's always talking about God's truth, God's commands. That's not very loving. Besides, we've got new innovative teaching that will set you free from the ordinary and from obedience. Listen, this shift is vital. It's vital. And we need to work on that. We've got to work on that as God's people, as God's leaders, as God's people. A mutual love that is a gospel love that protects us from error entering into our hearts and minds, our homes in our church. First observation. Second observation. Leads God, lead God's people to, to obey the command to love versus ordering them to obey it. Okay? Lead God's people by example and exhortation to obey the command to love versus ordering. Here, I, Look at what he says. Verse 5. I mean, this is a critical situation. This church is being threatened. They're about to let false teachers come in and tear tear up and destroy God's people, God's work. And here's what he says. Now I ask you, lady. I ask you. I ask you to obey God's command. 
That's really significant. Now, this isn't just a, would you please do this and it's okay if you don't. This is a pleading. This is an urging. But please note, it's not a command. Where's the command? Where's the, what's the command? And who's it from? It's from God. See, it's not from John. John's making a clear point. This isn't what I'm ordering. I'm not the dictator here. I'm not the one dominating this. I'm not trying to force this on you. I'm merely urging, pleading, and asking that you do what the Father has commanded. You know what John's doing for us in this verse? He's modeling in truth and love. The truth is you got to love one another. It's a command. The loving part is I'm urging, I'm begging, I'm loving you in how I do it. Isn't that good? What a great balance. Don't you wish you had that balance? I wish I had that balance. We can have that balance. God's Spirit helps us, and these examples help us to do that. So here, I think that's cool. He's given them a commandment straight from God, but asking the, 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 the lady to obey it. Now, he's modeling that. Now, here's another reason why he's asking instead of demanding. And it's this. You can't force people to obey God and to love other people. And I'm sure every parent here has tried. Right? How's, how, anybody brave enough to say, yeah, I, I, I've tried that force thing. Right? And how'd that work? Did not work, did it? No. He Look, you can't force people to do this. But people must, God's people must do it. Because it's God's command. And we've already read those verses. God's people will do it. Because they have been born again and God's seed dwells in them. Third observation. Help God's people see that the command to love one another is not new. It's not new, but it's rooted in the gospel from the very beginning. He kind of has this parenthesis in verse 5 where he says, Not as though I were writing to you a new commandment. This isn't new. This isn't innovative. This isn't like the false teachers, but one which we have had from the beginning. Now, two things about this. This is a big deal for John. He's always talking about the new commandment. Then he calls it an old commandment. It's not new, but it's old, but it's new. What's that mean? Two things. It's not new in terms of timing. This command to love is as old as the Old Testament. It's given in Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's given in Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And not only that, but Jesus in Matthew 22 sums up the whole Old Testament as this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophet. This isn't new in terms of time. But it's new in terms of kind. The kind of commandment, it's new. So it's not new in time. It's already been given. It's new in the kind of the command. And here's what I mean by that. I, 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 uh, well, turn your Bibles, John 13. Turn your Bibles, John 13. John 13. Here's where the new command to love was given. It's the old command, but it's new in a new kind of way. Look at John 13, verse 1. Notice what it says. 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, or he loved them to the limit. Then look at verse 34, same chapter. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, here's, what you, here's, here's where we learn the newness of this command. Three things I want you to see. First of all, it's new in terms of the standard. The new standard for love is this. Love others like I have loved you. That's new. God came in the flesh in the person of Christ, and he loved us, and he loved us to the cross. He loved us to the cross. So the new standard of love is love others like you have been loved. Maybe you come from a family where you weren't loved. Maybe you come from a dysfunctional family like we all do. And your love cup is empty. Well, guess what? If you're born again, your love cup has been made full by the love of God poured out on you through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. So we have a new standard. That also means we have a new source. We have a new source for obeying such a command. In the Old Testament, God said love, but they didn't have the ability. They didn't have God living in them. Love is poured into our hearts now by the indwelling spirit. There's nobody, listen, there's no other believer that you can't love. There's no other believer that you can't love. Why? Because it's not you, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit that will do it, okay? You have a difficult marriage, you have difficult kids, you got difficult parents, you got difficult in-laws, you got difficult workers, you got difficult church members, we can love because we have a new source. And third, we have a new scope. The scope of it, before it was like love your neighbor. Now the emphasis is love one another. It's loving other believers. Listen, I think we're getting this backwards in, in our Christian culture. We're, we're downplaying the church, and we're kind of dogging the local church. We're dogging organized religion, and we're putting all the focus on loving sinners. Now, listen, we need to love sinners, but that's not the focus. That is not the focus. What sinners need to see is us loving one another. Listen, my contention is this. If you don't know how to love other believers in the local church as a local church in all its messiness, you don't know how to love sinners like they need to be loved. In fact, the way you're going to learn how to do that is love the sinners in this church first. With me? They need to see us loving. And they want to get in on it. And then we let it overflow out to them. So don't. I'm not saying go inward. I'm just saying the focus here, love one another, love one another, love one another. I wish I could read all the verses that you have there. Here's the last thing that he does. Verse 6. They explain true leaders equip God's people to put truth in practice by explaining to God's elect church that love is never separated from obeying the truth revealed in God's commands. So love you never, ever, ever shut this book and try to love people. You never, ever try to set aside the commands in order to love people. He said, you just can't do that. Look at verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Okay, now just stop right there. This is love. 
that we walk on a habitual daily basis. And now command is plural. It's commandments, which means what? All of it. All of it. Now, this is a commandment just you've heard from the beginning. Notice he said beginning twice now. Okay, three explanations. Let me just hit these quick. Number one, truth's purpose is clear in this verse. Obey. Truth's purpose is clear in this verse. We've moved from walk in truth, love one another. Now, all of a sudden, the commandment is obey the truth of God's commandments. When you read through these verses, you kind of want to say, John, make up your mind. John, could you, which is it? Which is the command? Verse 4, it's walking in truth. Verse 2, it's lo- or verse uh, 5, it's love one another. Verse 6, now it's obeying all of his commandments. Which is it? And you know what John would say? It's all of it. It's all of it. Truth's purpose is clear. Listen to this. 1 John 5, 2. Commentary on these letters is 1 John. Listen to 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. How do I love other people in this church? I love God first and foremost, and I live an obedient life. That's loving you. Well, man, I thought loving was meeting my needs. No, it isn't about you. Isn't about now. That's part. Don't get me wrong. God's commands say meet needs, right? Exhort one. But the bottom line is the way I love the people in this church is I make sure I love Him first and foremost. And number two, I'm an obedient Christian. So I say to you as a class, show me some love. Show me some love. Love me. Love me. Love. Look at the. Turn to one another and say to one another, love me. I'm not hearing it. I'm hearing laughter. I want to hear it. Turn to one another and say, love me. And what we should be saying to one another is, I will. I will love God and live an obedient life this week because I love you. Listen, you don't hear this except from God, except from God. Secondly, observation, love is shown by walking according to all of God's commandments. This is now plural. Finally, third observation, God's command is that love is never separated. It's never separated from obeying the truth revealed in God's commands. That's the commandment. Now, what is God's commandment in this verse? I sent this out to, some, uh, out to the email list or wherever. I don't know where I sent it. Social media. It's out there somewhere. And the question was, what is the commandment in these three verses? And the fact is, in verse 4, the commandment is to what? Fill in the blank. You should know it now. Walk. Walk in truth. As you have received it from the Father. You heard it in the gospel. Now do it. Verse 5, the commandment is to what? Love one another as you have been responsible for from the beginning. He says, you have had this from the beginning. You're accountable now. If you are a believer. And then verse 6, the commandment in verse 6 is to what? All of God's commandments as it was revealed to you from the beginning. Here's what John's saying. The new and the innovative false teaching does not set aside what you have heard from the beginning. So here's the question we end with. What's our lifestyle to be in these verses? 
be authentic Christians who live in the truth by walking, loving, obeying, and I add abiding because that's what it means from the beginning. Keep doing it. Don't stop. So let me end with these three questions. Are we living in truth? These are powerful questions. Powerful questions. Are we separating walking in truth from loving one another and obeying all of God's commands? Second question. Are we loving one another as a local church as we are equipped by true leaders to live in truth? And here's the third. Are we showing our love by living according to all of God's commands? I really encourage you, go before the Lord this week. Take some time to reflect on this. And just say, you know what? Do I really know what love is? And am I really loving the other members, other believers in this church? Or do I need to... 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. Let's pray. Father, we come. Uh, What a powerful thing. I was challenged as a leader this week to, quite frankly, not be overwhelmed by the ugliness of our culture, by the compromise of God's people, and to not lose my joy in the some that are living for you. May they be multiplied. And then, Father, may all of us mourn our sin of not loving one another with a greater devotion to you and a greater obedience to your word. We confess our sin as a people. We need to do it as individuals this week. And may your grace, your mercy, your peace be with us in Christ Jesus to cleanse us and set us on the path of obedience. Lord, we are super abundantly blessed. May we rejoice and live in it and share it with the lost we see. In Jesus' name, all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Good stuff today.